all CEOs, me included, we don't actually know what we're doing. They're all sharks, so all you got to do, though, is no shark bait. I don't think we've ever talked about this before. <laughs> we can capture all of the wallet share. First place you start is with the product. That's just the first nut. This is the Capital Stack. Hey, everybody, this is David Paul, the host of the Capital Stack podcast, where I talk to founders, operators, and investors about all things value creation in startups. Today, I am talking to Caleb Avery, who is the founder and CEO of Tilled, which is a fintech company, also a payfac as a service. And we're going to go deep today on payments and payments in the technology world, in the SaaS world, in the marketplace world, and what are these big rails that everyone has? Because quite candidly, I don't know anything about this space except for like, it's big, right? So super happy to have you on, Caleb. How you doing today? I'm doing great. Yeah, definitely excited to, to talk through the nuts and bolts of, of payments. And hopefully you'll, you'll leave today with a, at least a little bit better understanding of what's happening in the payments <laughs> ecosystem, maybe what a payfac is, uh, and hopefully a good understanding. Yeah, I just of what feel like I'm getting fucked whenever means. I swipe my credit card. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much what's happening, you know. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> like, there's five middlemen that are fucking me. Like when I'm swiping, my at, credit at least card, right? there there could be seven. Uh, it's three to five percent. <laughs> You're not really sure what any of these guys are doing to actually add value right. in the ecosystem. It's it's one of those like, tell me what you actually do here. Uh, you know, kind of of industries where it's like, well, I introduced this person to this person, and I just make half a percent on every dollar. You know, that's that's processed, and that's that's kind of all there is to it. Yeah, and you're, I'm always suspect when like everyone's sales proposition in an industry is, let me show you how I can save you money. Let me see your statement. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> just a bad luck. There's a lot of folks out there that that have the the kind of cost base. Hey, we're we're the lowest cost you know provider out there. It's like there, there's no value here. It's just I can I can save you money. That's that's really the core <laughs> you know value prop that that you're going in with and. You know, look, there is, you know, value in saving money. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, merchants and software companies, uh, at least at this point in time, are actually looking for something more than that. Yeah. So I want to go in, Caleb, I want to know your background and I want to know your kind of entry point into payments and tell us a little bit about Tilt after that. Yeah. So, you know, I started in the in the payment space at 19 years old, going door to door, selling payment processing services to, to small business owners, as, as all 19 year old college students do. Um, but, you know, started started doing the door to door sales. And for, for me, you know, really got this this true understanding of the, the needs uh, of the individual merchants and over time scaled up that first company. And then I started consulting for larger software businesses. And so for, for me, I kept getting brought in on these engagements, typically with a vertical software platform, like a dental practice management solution or a golf course management platform. And for, for these software businesses, oftentimes they were partnering with someone like a Stripe or a Braintree, and they were just passing along the 2.9% and 30 cents from Stripe onto their merchants. And so some of these guys had four or $500 million a year in payments volume, and they were making $0 on all of those payments, which was, which was pretty crazy. And so they brought us in to really help them understand, like, how do we actually go about trying to monetize these payments? And it was through that consulting work that I really saw the issues with that side of the business and really the opportunity to build 
what became tilled. And so for, for a lot of these businesses, we were connecting them to, to gateways like an NMI or authorized.net and then helping them work with ISOs. And so probably, probably a lot of acronyms that I'm, that I'm throwing out today. So at any point, kind of stop me and <laughs> we can talk through, you know, what some of these yeah. mean, but so let's talk. Yeah. Let's talk about like, give us the structure, like how, like, I mean, there's like a couple different, there's layers, right. And mm-hmm. I, 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 from the person that's actually the the person taking my payment to the person that's receiving the payment, like, how does that work? Like to, to, in, in the most layman terms possible. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when you're when you're thinking about the the kind of transaction cycle and, and how that flow actually works, when you're you know at the the point of sale buying you know a cup of coffee and, and you're going out to to get your you know transaction authorized, there there can be as we as we talked about earlier in the conversation, a lot of people in the middle you know of that transaction you know taking place, and so sometimes that transaction is initiated through a gateway. And so that mm-hmm. gateway is literally the, the middleman, you know, connecting the, the point of sale, you know, solution to to the acquirers and the card brands to, to authorize, you know, that transaction. And the, the crazy thing is that sometimes there's another middleman <laughs> in the middle of that being the, the ISO or the agent uh, in between on on that sale. And so that that ISO or, or agent is selling you know, the, the coffee shop access to, to that gateway, to, to that terminal. Yeah. To so the ISO is like a distribution model, transaction. right? It, essentially. That I think for, for most of the, the large banks and the large processors, they found that the ISO or the 1099 distribution model was an incredibly lucrative model for them because it was eat what you kill. And so for, for an agent or an ISO that's out there on the street, they're not getting paid unless they're bringing business in the door, but they're getting a percentage or a commission on every payment that's processed through the merchants or the software platforms that they're bringing to that bank or, or to that uh, you know processor. And so at the end of the day, you've got you know at this point there, there's a there's a decent number, a couple dozen of these these companies that have the direct connections into the card brands that actually process, authorize, and settle uh, the transactions to to the merchants. And then you've got the the card brands, you've got the acquiring banks, you've got the issuing banks, and everybody plays you know their own role in the ecosystem, making sure that when you go in and swipe you know that card to buy that cup of coffee, the money transfers from your bank account through this you know series of middleman to get to you know the merchant's bank account because that's ultimately you know the the point is connecting the the cardholder and the consumer to the merchant providing you know the the good or service and there's a lot of people that you know are in the middle of the the transaction you know essentially ensuring that that transaction flows smoothly uh, and guaranteeing that those funds are are available um, and going to that merchant so you know I can understand the distribution model right and and spiffing people for that um for that work and providing the technology to take the payments where does like risk sit in this in this value chain because you know i i hear terms like kyc know your customer Mm -hmm. you know um on risk off risk who's taking the you know percentage of risk how does that play into this value chain yeah. So when you think about the, the risk in, in this space, it, it does differ whether you're talking about that traditional ISO model or more of the payback model uh, like we're leveraging here at Tilled. And that traditional ISO agent uh, model, it, it does depend on if that ISO is operating in, in, a, in a retail or a wholesale ISO capacity. If they're operating as a wholesale ISO, then they're taking on the, the risk and the liability. They're going through a registration process uh, with their their banking and, and processing partners, but typically it's either sitting on the uh, the, the ISO 
or the the processor. But at the end of the day, it's it's sitting on the bank that's facilitating the the funds, you know, through the ecosystem. And so in all of these cases, you have to go through an underwriting process with a sponsor bank to go through that registration process to ensure that you have the personnel, the technology, the policies, the procedures, the balance sheet to be able to actually absorb uh, that risk. Under the payment facilitator model, this is a little bit different uh, where in that traditional ISO model, each coffee shop, each merchant is getting their own merchant ID, their own merchant account to process those transactions. Whereas under the payment facilitator model, that payfat goes through some very intense scrutiny with the banks, the processors, the, the card brands. And, you know, typically you're talking about a six to 12 month process to go through, you know, that diligence exercise where the payment facilitator becomes what's called a master merchant. And the beauty of that model, you know, companies like Stripe, Square, Braintree, PayPal, Toast are some of the more notable examples of companies that have gone through that payfac process. And the advantage is once you've gone through that process and you assume the liability, you're then able to create this instant digital streamlined boarding experience for all of the sub merchants that are coming under uh, your model. And you contrast that to, you know, emailing a PDF application <laughs> out to a merchant and collecting a driver's license and bank statements and all the supporting documentation where it's a very heavy um, underwriting kind of manual intensive process to create that merchant account under that traditional ISO model. Whereas in this payment facilitator model, it's really been streamlined, at least from the merchant experience perspective. Yeah. And, but, you know, because you're putting this infrastructure in, I'm not talking about tilled, I'm talking about pre-tilled, right? You know, becoming mm-hmm. a payfac. There's a ton of, there's a ton of, um, you know, six to 12 months, there's an expense, there's an investment, a capital investment that needs to be made. And there's, there's a balance yeah. sheet you have to have. So, like, what, what is the processing volume that, you know, typically would make sense for an investment like this? Yeah, I, I would say in my opinion, you know, when I think about the the integrated software payments landscape, I think about it in three segments. I think about zero to 50 million being kind of the startup segment, 50 million to 2 billion being kind of the mid-market and then north of, of 2 billion, where in my opinion, 2 billion a year in annual processing volume is really the economic breakpoint where economically you can argue that it really makes sense to, to go look at, you know, becoming a, a fully registered payment facilitator. I think for, for me, you know, I went through a consulting exercise with a software company doing about a billion dollars uh, in payment volume, and they were just dead set. They were convinced that them becoming a payfac made a ton of sense. And then as I started to educate them on the technology, the personnel costs, the liability losses, PCI, mm-hmm. card brand registration fees, they're like, wait, we need all of those things to be a registered <laughs> payfac. And it's like, just yeah, kidding. they do. Uh, and they're like, oh, so we're actually going to make less money than in this referral relationship that we have today. And I'm like, bottom line, yes, like your top line revenue will be higher, layer in all these costs. And then at the end of the day, you're actually yeah. making you know less money. And I think that's one of the misconceptions that exists in this space is, you know, you've got a lot of these companies that are touting the top line revenue number. And look, n- nothing against the top line revenue number. There's just a significant amount of OPEX that's required to actually operate, you know, as a payfac. And, and that's not even taking into account the actual like additional expenses, legal, the development costs, shifts in your, your go-to-market strategy, the additional support costs that, that you need to have in place to really do that model well is incredibly capital intensive. At scale, it makes a ton of sense. And it's highly profitable mm-hmm. when you're Toast, Shopify, you know, MindBody, these kind of mega, right. yeah. you know, you're software platform, platforms. Right. It's a no brainer. Like it's a no brainer, you know, for those guys. But, you know, 
a software business doing 50, 100, 200 million a year in payments volume, I mean, you're, you're almost crazy to even consider, you know, going down that path unless you're going to, you know, 100 extra volume in the next, mm-hmm. you know, 18 months. And then, you know, if you are, uh, you know, God bless you anyways. Yeah, right. You have bigger fish to fry. So, yeah. t- so, and so what is Tilt? Is Tilt offering like a lighter version of this? Like how does Tilt play into this? Yeah. So for, for me, you know, after going through all of this, this consulting experience and, and really understanding the, the kind of rub when it came to the, the downsides of the experience to, to go become a payfac for, for these software platforms, I really had this vision of like, how do we help more of these software companies leverage the benefits of this payment facilitator model that has so many advantages relative to the traditional ISO world that I came from, but not having to go down all of the regulatory and compliance paths to become a payfac themselves. And so fundamentally at Tilled, we provide a turnkey white label payments infrastructure solution to software platforms so that they can come integrate to our APIs and SDKs. Uh, our average integration uh, is about 11 and a half days. <laughs> uh, they're not hiring a team. They're not taking on uh, additional liability, but we're still paying them the lion's share of the revenue on all of the transactions flowing through their platform. So substantially easier uh, to, to get up and running. There's none of the, the OPEX or the downsides associated traditionally with the payback model, but you're still earning the lion's share of the revenue on all of those transactions flowing through your platform. And so it's it's kind of the best of, of both worlds between the, the different models uh, that, that are available. It's kind of like in the middle, right? Right in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and wh- so where does... Um, where does where like what's the revenue threshold that you think that a tilde makes sense from going from an ISO model to like a partial payfac or outsource payfac? Yeah, so when I think about the the kind of payfac as a service sweet spot, it's really that that mid market lower enterprise, so that fifty million to two billion a year annual processing businesses where mm. there's enough volume that it really makes sense to want to monetize the payments, but you're nowhere near that scale that you can really justify the idea of becoming your own payfac yourselves. And it's not to say that we don't work with startups and we don't recommend you know, startups uh, taking a look sure. at, at Till. That's probably about 20% of our, our book of business, but it's not our core focus. And I think for, for a lot of these startups, they really have to decide, like, is this really where they want to spend you know, their, their effort you know, in, the, in the early days? That said, I think as the capital markets are, are shifting and capital is getting harder to come by, you're actually seeing that threshold go further, you know, down the the market. Where I'm sure from from the seat that that you're sitting in, you know, the the traction and revenue thresholds that the companies need to achieve to get the valuation expectations that they want have shifted over the last you know 12 18 months. And so you're seeing earlier stage businesses understand that. Margins matter, profitability matters, average revenue per unit, you know, matters. And if you can implement all of those things in a couple of weeks with a provider like Tilled with no upfront costs, not no ongoing OPEX, it's actually a pretty attractive model, even for for companies that, are, that traditionally, you know, we, we would have thought might been, uh, you know, might have been a little bit small, uh, you know, to come to Till. We're, we're seeing more and more of those guys coming to us. Yeah, so it is even just for the education piece, it's worth the call because as an mm-hmm. early stage company to understand this web of intricacies and margin profiles that really go all the way down to the basis point, right? Mm-hmm. On these transactions to really get a good idea of, of the, or their own unit economics in their business. Well, and I think more and more investors are understanding the value of integrated payments. I mean, there's a ton of, you know, private equity and growth equity shops out there who have entire, you know, strategies around investing or acquiring 
you know, these software businesses layering in payments and potentially doubling or tripling the margin, you know, within these these businesses. And so a lot of founders are, are starting to understand, you know, the potential magnitude of the impact that, you know, creating that payment monetization strategy, you know, can have where, look, if we're saying, hey, you're going to add 2%, you know, to, to your revenue, that's not that, not all that exciting. But if I said, hey, you could double your revenue <laughs> in the next, you know, three to six months, that actually gets people's attention to, to want to come take a look at, you know, how to think about layering in that that payment monetization, you know, strategy to, to their business. Yeah, this, you know, this, I'm going to, a little anecdotal story. It's I couldn't believe this. So there was a software company uh, CEO that I was talking to, vertical EHR software, right? You know, um, for a specific market segment, he runs about 1.8 billion in, in processing payments, right? So kind of on the upper end of that of, yeah. of that market. He uh, told his payfac because he's not a payfac that he was going to withdraw and change his whatever, you know, in 12 months, right? Because he's contracted for 12 months. They gave him $350,000 cash, as well as five salespeople to sell on behalf of him to his customers in order for him to extend his contract. I mean, like, I just couldn't believe that. There's that's yeah. a lot of money, dude. Like <laughs> that's a lot of fucking money. You know, I, I think, you know, my, my experience, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of companies out there that have been able to really take advantage of a lot of these vertical software platforms that really aren't payments experts. They don't understand, well, should I be making five basis points, 50 basis points, 80, like what's, what's a right. fair share you know, of this revenue and, you know, take, let's take Stripe, you know, as an example, they're going to start you out at 2.9% and 30 cents. And, you know, they're going to graciously negotiate down to 2.75% and 25 cents. Well, you still don't know what Stripe's margin are. You don't know how much money you're leaving on the table. And then you come, you know, talk to, to someone, you know, like myself or bring in a consultant. You're like, we're leaving 75 basis points on the table on, you know, whatever is 500 million, a billion dollars a year in volume. And you're like, wait, we could make an extra 5 million a year in pure margin straight to our bottom right. line. Like what the heck are we doing? You know, continuing to run, yeah. you know, all and, this and I guess that's when the 350 like, grand doesn't really matter. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, look, I, I don't blame them for trying to retain, you know, their customer. I'm sure it's still a highly profitable relationship, you know, for, for them. But I, I think, you know, for us, a, a big part of our, our mission here at Tell is this idea of changing the payments landscape for the better, where, Look, it's a, it's a highly profitable business, but there's a lot of people that, that operate in this idea of kind of secrecy and, hey, we're going to tell you kind of half of the information that you need so we have an upper hand in the negotiation, whereas our approach is more educational, consultative. Like even if we're not the right fit for your business, if we can help give you a better understanding of the landscape, the ecosystem, what's fair, what you should be asking for, the questions that maybe you didn't even think about that you need to ask of your current provider or other providers that you're evaluating, we want to make sure that these software businesses really have, you know, experts that they can turn to to make sure that they're making the right decisions for their business, even if that means that Tilde isn't the right fit, you know, for for their business. Yeah. You know, so like when this market was on its way to, you know, I guess we could call it the top, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Before this correction happened, you know, I just felt that this margin pressure on SaaS products was just like, insurmountable like people were just getting pushed down to the bottom and i had this feeling because you know you see these variable type you know revenue models where it's partial payment volume or 
transactional volume off the payments and it's partial SaaS. And I was thinking of a world like, is, is was there ever going to be a world where, you know, the software, people just didn't charge for the software, but they were just charging for payments. And like, that was, that was essentially yep. the lock-in. Because you're, 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 I mean, like, I mean, we have, we have like customers soft, that do it today. The software, the software just keeps you in, right? Like, it's just, it literally is just your, what, what keeps you sucked in, but everything else is just payments. Yeah. I mean, we, we have a, we have a software partner that was charging, I think it was like eighty nine ninety nine a month for their software fee. They discounted it down to nineteen ninety nine a month because they're making 150 bucks a month on, on the payments margin. Like it's a no brainer for them to, to discount you know, that core, you know, software fee or or frankly give it away, which is what I think we were recommending, you know, in in that (laughs) equation. Um, But, you know, look that if you can make more money on the back end, you know, through the payments and ultimately go acquire more customers and, you know, create a better experience, you know, for all of your partners, why not? And I, I think from a competitive landscape perspective, part of the reason why you're seeing, you know, more of that margin compression, on the, the SaaS products is because some of the bigger competitors have figured out how to effectively monetize the payments and they understand that they don't need to charge such a premium for the SaaS product itself. And then they're gobbling up market share because they're making money on you know two, three product lines, whereas some of the smaller businesses that haven't figured out how to layer in that payment monetization strategy, their only option is you know the, the SaaS fee. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. So, um... Since you obviously have, you're a very customer focused, product focused company based on how it seems like you interact with your customers. So how do you, how do you advise founders, right? Just on that, that appropriate mix of, of transaction fee versus platform fee. Yeah. I mean, look, I think there's a balancing act there, right? And it kind of moves back and forth and, you know, so how do you think about that? It, it does. And I think for, for me, you know, the, the, the advice that, that, that I was given, the, the kind of path that we took and the advice that I, that I tend to give to founders is really focusing on customer discovery and getting that feedback from your customers. You can't make these decisions, you know, in a vacuum. You have to go out there and, and test the market, talk to customers and, and really get that feedback from the people that, um, you know, are, are ultimately making the buying decision, you know, on your, your product and really see, you know, what, what price the, the market you know, can bear. And for, for me, you know, in the early days, we were out there talking to as many customers as we could to understand, like, <clears throat> why, why are the business models that our competitors, you know, have implemented not working? You know, frankly, uh, we were out there talking to dozens of these companies and <clears throat> it was something crazy. Like the first, you know, we, we talked to, you know, called 36 customers and 80% of them had talked to both of our kind of top two competitors uh, in the space and cited that they didn't want to work <laughs> with either, you know, of, of those competitors. And, and it was this incredible market insight where they, they felt like the business model was confusing and they felt like the, the time to market was going to be a huge constraint uh, for them. And with that feedback, it's like, okay, well, I know exactly, you know, what these issues are, you know, that, that my competitors are, are facing. And if I can go tackle, you know, these couple of problems, then, you know, I feel like we're going to be able to kind of cross that chasm and, and build something, you know, that, that can sustain, you know, in the industry. But I think for a lot of founders, they're either nervous, you know, to, to go out there and, and do that uh, or, you know, feel like, you know, it's, it's weird to, to go kind of have those conversations, you know, with customers. But I think for, for me, you know, my, my background was door to door sales. Like I'll, I'll go out and talk to anybody uh, <laughs> right. about, about exactly. anything like the wor- worst case, it's a horrible, you know, experience and you don't talk to that person, you know, uh, again, I, I also think for, for me, 
you know, especially in the early days, you know, when I was doing this, this customer discovery process, it wasn't selling. Like I was genuinely wanting feedback, you know, from uh, our, our customers. And what, what surprised me was how willing other founders, other business owners were to provide really candid feedback. And, and some of it wasn't always fun to hear, uh, but like founder to founder, when they didn't feel like I'm not here to sell them, I'm not saying, hey, I've got a much better solution you know, for you. I'm like, I genuinely want feedback on, you know, why did this other solution not work for you? Why are you unhappy with the solution you know, that you have today? And we were able to get some incredibly valuable, candid feedback just by having that that open dialogue where we're not selling to them. Nice, nice. So what's what's in store for Tilled? What are you excited about? What's the next 2023 look for you? Yeah. So, you know, when I think about 2022 for, for us, you know, we proved without a shadow of a doubt, we can attract, sign and launch, you know, software companies onto onto the platform and just incredibly excited with the momentum, you know, that we've built up. 2023 for us is, is really about scaling and, and really, you know, focusing in on, on these customer relationships, lending sales resources to, to our partners, you know, to, to help them scale. Like this week, uh, a couple of our sales guys are at a conference, you know, helping one of our customers uh, go close merchants. And so we're really leaning in with, a, you know, a lot That's of our awesome. larger partners to help them, you know, really scale up their businesses because we all benefit, uh, you know, from that. <laughs> I, I also feel like, you know, for, for me, we're starting to see more and more interest from, you know, some of the larger players in the space that are excited about, you know, white label or, or licensing opportunities, you know, it's Tilled. And so we're, we're starting to explore, you know, these relationships where we've really built industry leading technology focused on ISVs, whereas a lot of the traditional processors have always focused on the merchant experience. You go back to what we were talking mm-hmm. about in the beginning of the conversation <laughs> with that traditional agent ISO distribution model. Well, that distribution model is changing and it's changing at a pretty incredible pace in favor of software led payments being the primary way that SMBs are getting access to to payment processing. That's the highest growth category within the entire payments ecosystem. And so a lot of the traditional players that don't have a very good ISV, you know, software led experience are are kind of looking at the, the numbers saying, hey, this cash cow side of our business is really not growing. Whereas, you know, this, the software led payments side of the business is really taking off. And I think, you know, with the technology that we built, there's an opportunity to kind of marry, you know, those two worlds together. And I'm, I'm really excited to to see where that side of the business goes over, over the next year. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Uh, A couple of can questions before we finish off today. What is your favorite book? Favorite book, I would say Peter Thiel, Zero to One. Uh, the yep. the idea that, you know, to, to build, you know, something truly meaningful, you can't just have a small tweak, you know, on a, on an existing idea. You really have to, to start something new. And for, for me, that started with creating the idea of Payfac uh, as a service. Like that that category, that nomenclature, that name did not exist, uh, you know, prior to, to Till. And so for us, you know, we're, we're setting out to do something that's never been done uh, before. And that's not easy. Uh, but it's a it's a whole lot of fun. That's great. That's great. What's the best piece of business advice you've ever had? Um, so I'd say about two two and a half years ago, uh, really started to to understand the, the benefit of of personal branding. That was just a concept that was completely foreign uh, to to me. Where you know around the start of the the pandemic. We were really trying to figure out like what the go-to-market strategy was going to look like for for Tilled, where you know trade shows weren't happening, people weren't meeting, you know, in person. It was just a completely different environment than than what I was used to and what we had planned for. 
and started to to read up and and speak to to some folks that were having a ton of success on LinkedIn uh, selling B two B products. Uh, on LinkedIn. And for, for me, that was just this completely foreign concept. But as I started to, to dig in and really understand more about the value of personal branding, it's become an instrumental part of the, the go-to-market for, for us here at Till. So if you're if you're a founder, don't sleep uh, on the power of, of building your personal brand on, online. It, it can do incredible things for, for your business, but it does take time. Yeah, it does take time. It's uh, Sometimes you feel like you're speaking into a vacuum. For, for like a while, like yeah. <laughs> I'm, you know, two, two and a half years. I'm, into I'm the glad journey. you got on this podcast because literally no one's listening to it right now. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the first year was kind of me talking to myself on, on LinkedIn. Uh, and then, and then it started to get a little better and then a little better. And now, you know, it's a, it's a huge part of the, the go to market, you know, motion for the business, but it, it takes that, that dedication and that willingness to kind of evolve and stay dedicated to something that you're not going to see immediate results from, you know, day one. And you have to, like, even though, like, you have to kind of enjoy what you're doing, whether it's, like, writing or doing mm-hmm. videos or podcasting. Like, for me, like, I, you know, I do a blog about four times a week. I do a podcast. I do a LinkedIn Live once a month. And I made a rule to myself, I, like, the, the first time that I start feeling like this is work, I'm going to, like, I'm out, right? Like, I, I don't want to do it. But, you know, I only talk to people I want to talk to. I, my, my blogs are literally, you can finish them in, like, 45 seconds. Like, it's literally the least amount of value you can ever have in a blog. I mean, it should be a tweet. It's not like it's like the worst content ever, but I do it, right? And, you know, people are subscribing to it for some fucking reason. But, you I, know, I, like, I, I think that that part about having fun is incredibly important. I also think you, you can't put pressure on yourself. Like, for me, I, I haven't no. posted in like a week and I, I kind of feel bad about it, but it's like, I just wasn't inspired to post, you know, during that, that time period. And I'll probably post the next seven days. And so, you know, it's like, you have to give yourself the space to, you know, do what feels natural, do what feels right. Take a break when you need to take a break, but, but have some fun. And I think I would, I would tend to agree like the the podcast for me are a ton of fun. I just love, love doing these, you know, we, we do a blog a week and that's, that's a ton of fun for me. And I just, I love sharing the journey, you know, online, uh, totally. with folks and, and generally, you know, the feedback's been, been pretty positive, <laughs> you know, which is, which is encouraging. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Caleb. It's great having you on everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into the capital stack where we learn about what's going on in tech. We learn about the trends. We try to get just a little bit smarter on how the world is shaping and where the puck is going. Uh, you can find us on all major platforms, YouTube, Spotify, and Apple. If you like it, share with a friend, comment, cancel me, do whatever, and I will see you next week. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack Podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. David Paul is the founder and general partner at DWP Capital. All opinions expressed by David and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of DWP Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. David and guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast.